Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. Hello, everyone. I'm Anka Corbin, your host today on this Globig Podcast. Our hot international expansion topic is some really important things to know about immigrating into foreign countries. And our guest expert is Suraj Sharma, the Client Services Director, Human Resources at Global Upside Corporation. Global Upside includes Global Upside, Global PEO Services, Mihi, and Gava Talent Solutions, a conglomerate specializing in international business, operating in over 150 countries. Suraj, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for the interruption, Ante. This is a topic I, I really enjoyed this, to discuss, and I'm looking forward to, to walking your listeners through the complexities of global expansion. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny that you know, there's all sorts of pieces that and parts to an, a successful expansion, but immigration is kind of one of the tough ones, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about why that is, and let's, let's jump right in. So what is the process in general look like, or is there even a general process for country to country? Are they all similar or are they all completely different? I think generally speaking, and I'm oversimplifying here, but you really have two types of visas. You have individual visas, which as the name implies, an individual can apply for them directly. It's similar to a, a B1 or a B2 visa in the U.S. And then you have company-sponsored visas, which require the employer to nominate the individual for a visa, assuming that individual meets certain criteria. Now, depending on which visa applies, the process will vary significantly. For example, in many countries, before a company can apply for a company-sponsored visa, they will need to register their local entity with the local authorities and be granted a license to hire foreign workers. I think one tip that is universal in this process is the importance of planning your global expansion to give yourself adequate lead time to hire a foreign worker. In other words, you don't want to have an issue pop up where you offer an individual uh, an employment contract that says you will start in two weeks and then quickly realize that that individual requires a work permit or a work visa, which then requires company sponsorship, which will require a local bank account, and so on and so forth. In simpler terms, you never want to put yourself or your future employee in a situation where you are reacting to information versus proactively setting the right expectations and running a timeline-based process. So engaging a firm like a Global Upside, for example, who can walk you through the process of what you need to do to, one, set up your entity properly, to ensure you have necessary registrations, banking requirements, business IDs to sponsor your entity, and three, engaging competent local immigration attorneys who can guide you through the immigration process from start to finish is critical in ensuring your success. Mm, great advice. It's true. I, I've i worked with a number of different companies and sometimes companies, especially startups, they kind of think of those two things as the same thing, right? The setting up your company, go, getting all of the business pieces setting up, set up, and the immigration process. And And one of the things that we've learned, and I'm sure you have as well, is that those two processes are not in sync and they have to be done one after the other. You still have to move forward with setting everything up and then immigration takes on a life of its own. And those typically are not 
timed very well. And they sometimes can be years later from what we've seen before it actually all works out. What have you found? Uh, that's absolutely correct. I think really one of the challenges that we've found working with a lot of companies who are expanding internationally, maybe for the first time or, or into a new region, is understanding what kind of company you've set up internationally. So, for example, if you don't have a full-blown um, entity, for example, or you have a non-resident employer in, in, in Europe or in Latin America, it's very difficult or in some cases impossible to get registered to sponsor a foreign worker. You need to have a permanent establishment in that country to prove that you're lawfully doing business in that country. And in many cases, you have to provide a number of financial documents or details about your company, what you're doing in that in that country, what your revenue and turnover looks like. And that information you just simply can't provide if you don't have a permanent establishment or you can't set up a set up a set up a bank account, for example, without having a permanent establishment. And so understanding if your plan long term is to hire foreign workers to fill some roles in your organization, you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success early and registering the proper entities or company types in each, each individual country. Are some countries easier or than others as far as and um, more flexible as far as bringing in foreign workers versus others, maybe having even some deterrence to hiring foreign, um, foreign employees? Oh, absolutely. I think kind of the overarching theme, you know, as you expand internationally, is you understand how much simpler processes are in the U.S. versus internationally. I think the idea that you have to have a sponsorship license, for example, can be entirely foreign to, to U.S.-centric companies. But in many parts of the world, they have incentives or initiatives that they want to hire their you know, local nationals. And that's the case in the U.S. as well. If you look at the challenges with getting an H-1B, for example, or a green card for many U.S. companies or who have U.S. or foreign employees, it's a very time-consuming process. And the process is time-consuming because it's difficult to get. And they want to, to a certain extent, deter other uh, companies from hiring you know, foreign workers. They want that expertise to be built into their country's workforce. And so I would say that in terms of difficulty, a lot of companies can face challenges setting up um, their com their companies internationally to ex to sponsor foreign workers in Asia, for example, or or the Middle East is another great example where there's a lot of challenges there. Um, you have more employer friendly, you know, countries in those markets and and in Europe as well. But I think really there isn't an, a a clear uh, a clear path forward. You have to do kind of research on a country by country basis to understand what the complexities are and how to navigate them properly. I want to talk a little bit about some of the mistakes that I see companies making all the time. And, and one of those to me is thinking that you can do this without the help of an immigration lawyer at the local level. Let's talk a little bit about trying to do this yourself and how challenging that really is and how many, you know, what the pitfalls for that are. Yeah, I think from, Global Upside's perspective, we really don't recommend you know companies try to tackle immigration alone. The immigration landscape is constantly changing, and you, and you do want to have a qualified attorney 
in your corner just in case something does go wrong or immigration authorities start to ask tough questions that you may not be able to answer. Um, another you know, tip to really build your likelihood of success, build your case is be honest, right? So that means there are two government agencies that I always say you never wanna to try to work around. It's gonna be the IRS and immigration. And it is very important that you have, you have in-country immigration teams that can leverage their on the ground experience to really guide you through the process of what you need to do to build your case. And what I mean by that is remembering that with immigration specifically, you are dealing with a physical immigration officer. So it is important to build an effective narrative to increase your chances of success. And I can't understate the importance of drafting a proper cover letter to your immigration application. It's explaining what your company does and why you need to have this foreign worker. Each country will have their own list of requirements they want included in this narrative. So having an immigration team that can help with this and use their knowledge of the local review process will always increase your likelihood of success. How much does it change year over year, maybe sometimes within the year, different regimes, political regimes that are coming in? These are really moving targets, aren't they? They are you you know what you think is going to be a process if you're in the middle of it might shift really really quickly and then so how do how do companies stay on top of that how do they pay attention to you know what they need from day to day really absolutely and i think that one of the reasons why i love this topic so much and it's so interesting to me is there are a lot of interdependencies with immigration a lot of areas where the political and socioeconomic uh, challenges or you know experiences, events that are happening in a country can really impact the country's view on immigration or the way a country applies immigration laws that are already on the books today. And so because these laws and requirements are changing so rapidly, obviously you, you can talk about the EU and the possibility of Brexit still looming large or, um, you know, and, and on that topic as a little bit of an aside, our, our local teams have already begun to report a shift in the hiring patterns in the UK as companies start to ramp up and, and prepare for the possibility of a Brexit. And so a lot of companies are shifting employees into Ireland, for example, which would give us employees, you know, more freedom of movement in the EU in the case that Brexit does come to pass. Similarly, another interesting topic in Europe is the refugee crisis that, that has been ongoing for the past number of years. And that's led to an increased scrutiny in immigration applications being reviewed or rejected or denied. And, you know, that plays a role in also the timelines for immigration applications being reviewed. When you have a large number of refugees, for example, going into major cities in Germany and Paris and, you know, uh, and Amsterdam, for example, in the Netherlands, you have these visa processing offices that are inundated with a large number of applications. And suddenly you start to notice that your timeline is slipping by one week or two weeks, and it's really to no fault of your own. And that uncertainty is challenging for U.S. companies that are very timeline driven, um, but it's just, a, it's just an actuality for a lot of these parts of the world. Um, similarly, changing political climates in the U.S. you know have an, an obvious impact on on immigration processing, and we've also noticed this in Southeast Asia as well. A, a really nationalistic point of 
point of view, and and I mean that you know respectfully, where they want to hire local nationals, they want to hire their own citizens and build their skill set to compete in this globalized economy, and so in those these crucial times, these uncertain times, you definitely want to have a partner who has their pulse on these changes and can leverage their on the ground experience to help companies navigate these complex and fluid situations. You know, you had mentioned a couple of things that I caught that really increased the likelihood of success, right? One, having someone that's experienced to do that, but not only the experience in kind of the paperwork and that sort of thing, but maybe even knowing the people that are going to be making the decisions. And then the other thing that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting is increasing likelihood of success with a well-written cover letter, right? I don't know that I would have thought about that. What are some other things, these nuances and these kind of unique things that you just wouldn't know that really can make a difference in your success? Yeah. And and I think, you know, to to your point there, these are things that, that some companies or a lot of companies have a challenge with identifying, you know, where they need to engage local counsel and where they can kind of use their own internal immigration counsel. Um, the crucial part here is really going to be that on the ground experience. I think that Global has had a very high success rate with immigration applications because we leverage a, a vast and very experienced network of immigration attorneys and experts, and they all have experience in country. And the reason why that's important is because immigration law and employment law do not always overlap. So while you may be able to technically employ a foreign worker, give them an employment contract, for example, without the proper immigration documentation, you may it may not even be possible to pay this individual. So you're, you want to position yourself in such a way where when you are hiring a non-local national, it's always important to check on both the employment and immigration ramifications of their employment, and then proactively plan what that onboarding process is going to look like, what that timeline is going to look like. And really, the, the people who will be able to help you the most with that are individuals who have longstanding understanding of what is happening in the country today, how is that impacting the way that laws are being applied, and what does that impact ha- mean from a practical point of view in terms of hiring individuals. Now, I know there's no hard and fast rule for how long it takes and that it's really country-specific, but what are some of the extremes? Like, what are some of the, where are some countries where it's super quick and where are there really, really long times? And just knowing that, okay, if you're going this direction, you better be prepared for it just being a really long process. Yeah, I think you touched on it perfectly, that there really isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to this question. This depends heavily on a number of factors, You know, the first of which, like I mentioned previously, does your entity need to be approved to sponsor foreign workers? If, you, if it does, in some countries like Australia and Singapore, for example, you could be looking at additional three, sometimes six months, depending on if there's further questions being asked by immigration authorities. Similarly, in, in the UK, you have fairly high um, review cycle times for sponsorship licenses. And in France, for example, it can be a six-month process to get a work visa. So 
just understanding whether or not you have to take that first step to get your entity up and running to sponsor foreign workers is critical. Similarly, sometimes just gathering the documents that these local governments are acquiring as part of their KYC, Know Your Customer, and UBO, Ultimate Beneficial Owner requirements, um, it takes time because these are requirements that are constantly increasing all over the world. And so companies are having to really dig deeper in their org structures to satisfy the innovation authorities requirements. And we've even witnessed a number of countries, Singapore being one of the, the most recent examples, where the immigration authorities are really pushing back on applications and they're requesting additional information after the initial round of review. And then, of course, you have to determine which visa applies to your employee. Some classes of visas can be granted in a matter of days. Those are usually those individual visas or those short-term business or tourist visas. Others have timelines of four to six weeks. And so once you identify you want to hire a foreign worker, really understanding and managing expectations becomes crucial during this process because it's in the timelines listed above. If your entity requires sponsorship or you are anticipating one type of visa versus another, this can really impact your ability to be successful in hiring foreign workers. And this all really goes back to developing a strategy and proactively planning your global expansion needs. Do you find that there are um, kind of ongoing deliverables in certain countries, in certain processes that you need to make sure that you're meeting all the deadlines? I know of a few folks where they didn't end up meeting certain deadlines along the way, and then it kind of blew up their entire process, and they had to kind of start from scratch from the very beginning again. Like, is that fairly common that there are really things along the way? It's not just one-time application, and then you know you get an answer at some point in certain amount of months. It's you know like how how frequently is it that there's really things that you have to do along the way and that they're going to keep pinging you for additional deliverables? It really depends on the country, but I think that's, that's a great point. One of the reasons why I love immigration is because it is a very linear process in terms of everything is based off of a checklist, meaning before you submit your application, you have a large number of documents you have to gather. Once the application has been submitted, at that stage, depending on the country's review process, you may be reached out by that country's immigration team and say, hey, you've sent us your bank statements, but you don't, you have, you don't have any to show for the past four to six months. What's up? Like, are you still active in that country? Um, and a lot of times when government agencies come back to you with additional document requests, they don't, they don't give you two to three months to figure it out. They don't want to give you enough time to start gathering documents and you know, modifying them to make your case look better. They're giving you a matter of 14 days, maybe 10 business days. You have two weeks to give us additional documents or we're rejecting your application and you have to reapply at that point. And so that's where, again, having that immigration council who works in country, is a, they're able to help because they can tell you, we've gone through this before. We understand what they're asking for. Or before you even get to that stage, they're saying, you know, we may not need to show bank statements for the past six months, for example, but we've had other clients who've had these, these challenges and they've had to show them. So let's show them this information upfront, which 
one, boosts your credibility as a, as a lawfully operating company, and two, really cuts down that review cycle, which takes the most amount of time during the application review. You know, the, the job market is super hot, and it's not just really hot in the United States. It's actually really hot in a number of countries, most countries, as a matter of fact. And there are certain types of people that are being recruited from all over the world that are more attractive to employers as well as are more likely to get the visas that they need in the time that they need them. Let's talk a little bit about what are some of those attractiveness characteristics and then what are some of the things that maybe are frowned upon or maybe not as attractive for a country to give you. So if you have some of those things, and I'm thinking along the lines of healthcare needs or um, age or, you know, things like that, like what are some of those that go into the attractive column that might make it easier for you to get your immigrant immigration status approved versus things that might be tougher and you're going to have to work really hard to get around? Absolutely. And I think it goes back to building that narrative. So you are dealing with immigration officers who are who are people who are reviewing your, your application. And so when you are applying for a work permit on behalf of an employee, one of your requirements is to explain to the, you know, to the foreign government why you're not able to find this skill set in their market. And a lot of countries actually require you, similar to the US with H1B applications, to to post this job on a job board, for example and do some level of labor market testing to show that you've done some due diligence in, into the local market. And you now have to then explain to the immigration officer why the people, the, the local nationals who have applied for this job are not qualified to do the job duties that this foreign worker is qualified to do. And so where that really becomes important is it depends on what sector you're working in. So if you're hiring a foreign worker in a tech sector, for example, that's you know generally where you're you're hiring foreign workers in. It's usually a, a tech sector, maybe it's a sales individual, uh, something along those lines. Those are specialized skill sets, and in some cases, that individual is not going to be able to build that skill set in country. And so you have to explain at that point to the immigration team that we found this individual through some alternative channel to the local job market and the skills that they have are going to advance the uh, advance our development our research development or our sales or allow us to grow our footprint in your country which will then allow us to hire more local nationals and a lot of times when you are hiring a foreign worker you do have to to a certain extent have a good faith agreement in some cases it has to be based on quota that you're going to look at the local job market to hire individuals, to hire local nationals. And so it, it does become more complicated when your first employee, for example, is a, is a foreign worker and you have no intention of hiring local nationals because you're just testing the market. But that's where that cover letter comes in handy, where you can explain to the immigration authorities why you do not have a, a business case or business need to hire local nationals at that time simply because you need someone within your organization or from another country who's relocating temporarily who understands your business to help grow your footprint in that country. No, that's really, really important. Very interesting. 
What are some of the other things you think our listeners should really know about immigration? Did we cover kind of the highlights or where are there some things that we really should also um, dig into? Yeah, I think that a lot of what we've covered kind of covers the, the general scope of immigration, really understand that you have to be proactive and you have to, to plan for plan for the worst, really, and understand that immigration is also an expensive process. And so there are costs associated with hiring a foreign worker that to smaller organizations or to non-critical roles within organizations, it may not be worth the investment of five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for one employee to get the appropriate visa to work in that country. I think also understanding what documents you need to prepare, what registrations you need to have as a company, and where that falls in your overarching timeline is, is very important as well. And just really to, to summarize, the part that interests me the most is, is what socioeconomic or political events are happening in these countries that could impact your timeline. Um, those really, I, I think, kind of cover the, the general theme here today. Um, but really, it just comes down to to preparation and making sure that you have trusted advisors, legal support, um, you know, HR professionals who can can help walk you through this process. I think that's really great advice. So, if someone wants to learn more, what's the best way for them to get in touch and learn more? Because you guys have obviously done this a lot of times, and you can help them navigate this really complicated process? I think definitely reaching out to uh, to Global Upside. We have various channels, emails uh, that you can reach out to us on. Uh, definitely, you can reach out to to myself at Global Upside. Um, we'll provide my email address, but it's siraj.sharma at globalupside.com. You can also reach out to Global Upside through our various websites, um, and you know our contact us page will direct you to a global business advisor who can better assist you here. And, and of course, reaching out to to immigration law firms is a great way to kind of gather uh, additional information. But I think really the the key here is to to do to do your research and to really better understand the immigration landscape, the global expansion landscape, so that you can best prepare your company and your employees for a more globalized economy um, and really kind of find the best talent that suits your company in, in you know, whichever country you're looking to expand yourself into. Mm, great advice. I want to thank you, Siraj, so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to speak with experts such as yourself. Um, I totally appreciate you sharing this knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed myself. So for our listeners, make sure that you also join the free resource hub on globeek.co, uh, especially if you're serious about doing business internationally. The Globeek resource hub will connect you to great services such as Global Upside, and it makes your day-to-day -day much more productive. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast channel for more fantastic international expansion podcasts.